podcast is brought to you by EJA Services, a moving company located out of the Utica, Rome area, but servicing all of central New York and beyond. Let's face it, moving can be stressful. Relax and let the reliable movers take care of tasks for you. From antiques to electronics to home decor items, they have the experience and the equipment to ensure your items will arrive at their destination unblemished and on time. They can move everything from your apartment, condominium, townhouse, single-family home, or office with ease. Competitively priced movers in Utica, New York. Again, they service all of something New York beyond. Moving help, relocation services, office moves, complete packaging services, unpacking, loading services. You know what? Maybe you bought some new items for your office or your home. Shouldn't have to stress about that because they can deliver those things too. Contact their moving and delivery specialist to help you have the new furniture, art, piano, items delivered. Visit their office at 9772 River Road in Marcy, New York, or call them at 315-335-0516. That's 315-335-0516. Or go to their website, ejamoving.com, and tell them that Just Joe sent you. Me just jumping in here just to remind you, just to remind you that the Royal Auto Group and Jason Allen are a sponsor of this amazing podcast Thank you, Jason. RoyalAutoGroup.com. That is RoyalAutoGroup.com. The Just Show podcast is brought to you by Advantage Hardwood Floors. And my good friend, Charlie, when it comes to hardwood floors, nobody better in the central New York area than him. He's been doing it his entire life. I mean, entire life. You've walked on floors that he's probably done. You've seen floors. You've seen basketball probably played on those floors. You just ripped up some carpet in your house, realized you got these beautiful hardwood floors underneath it. You want to make them look good? Call Charlie. Call Charlie at 315-463-0674 or at AdvantageHardwoodFloors at gmail.com. Episode 50, freaking two, 52. Uh, we've been cranking on these lately, right? Uh, I've really enjoyed the past couple episodes. I really, the last one with Marina V was a lot of fun and I cannot wait to have her back because holy crap, rabbit hole after rabbit hole with, with her story, it just kind of just turning you left and right. Uh, I've just recently made a list of all the people that I want to have on the podcast this year, and it is about 40 people long, and I keep adding people to it. So I'm literally filling out my year, um, hoping some of them I know that I can talk to. Some of them are like wish list people that I'm hoping that like if I reach out to them, they're like, yeah, I'll be on your little tiny podcast. <laughs> so, but I'm having fun. So either way, uh, this week, I have a good friend. Uh, I met years ago. He works at Syracuse University in a program called the Bandier Program, which is like a music industry program. We're going to talk about that. He's going to explain a little bit more. It is uh, part of the Newhouse Communications um, issue, which is literally world famous. We have uh, the list of people that have come out of Newhouse from Dick Clark to Bob Costas, uh, just to name a couple. Mike Tirico. I mean, a lot of sportscasters, but a lot of people in in mainstream media, like it is widely known. Uh, this program was started, I don't know, I want to say about 15 or so years ago. Um, and it is basically more of a music industry type of program. And now it is an official part of Newhouse a few years back. And my buddy Ulf, I can never say Ulf's last name. I'll have him say, I believe it's Ulf Osterle. But he's going he's gonna to talk about it a little bit more. Uh, he's not only been uh, an assistant professor up there, um, but he has also had a small record label. Uh, 
that he's worked with some uh, bands here in Syracuse over the past 20 years. And the dude is on the, the, the cutting edge of what goes on in the music industry. Uh, maybe we'll get to talk about NFTs, which is something that um, music uh, um, musicians and labels and everything are going to start using in the future. I don't really know much about them, um, but we will get into that. There's a lot to talk about, and I don't want to sit here and keep rambling. Everybody, welcome my guest for episode 52. Oh. Hello. Hey, buddy. How you doing? Good, man. I was just doing my little intro, and I was about to hit record to call you, and I fi- they finally are like snow blowing my sidewalk here in Manlius, so it's like they're right outside my window. I'm like, great, perfect timing, but they're they're good. But but I was uh, I was doing a little intro, and uh, I kind of we kind of freeform. I have ideas of what I want to talk about, but a lot of time I just kind of let this organically go so i just i I hit record and i let uh cody down at k-rock do all the production work afterwards because i don't i don't like that part (laughs) i like talking (laughs) i just don't like splicing stuff together have you done um this podcast as the like the twitch stream yeah no you're doing your own stuff not yet like i uh, i've talked about doing that but it's like man there's so many different worlds like i really use this podcast and i think i'm 50 some odd episodes in the pandemic slowed me down for a little bit because i just didn't have i was using k-rock studios for a little while and then Mm -hmm. i was like well no i i can do this from home but like recording phone calls into an apple computer is near impossible so i had to literally buy outboard gear i bought a roadcaster pro which is like I wish I bought that like years ago thing is awesome. So, uh, but I really use this podcast and, and I'm just trying to get my, like, just to get used to like podcasting and it's, and it's fun to talk and I have a, ideas for other podcasts and, and I want to take this to another level, but I'm now this one is mainly about music and weird stuff. And then I'm going to have another podcast, which is just fitness and mental health oriented cool. and split cool. the two. So, but in in the bio, because I'm who knows, C- Cody might be splicing this in already. I talked about what the Bandier program is, but so everybody, I, I, first of all, pronounce your last name because I can never say your last name. <laughs> you know, it's funny with my last name, um, I hardly ever use it anymore because when you've got a first name like Olf, yeah, that's the only one that you're <laughs> right. you're ever going to know. Exactly. So uh, you know, my last name is Austerly. All right, so I did say it right. I, yeah, yeah. I always go like phonetically when I'm going to a conference, like A W E dash S T I R dash L E E. You know, like it's pretty easy when you see it that way, but when you see it written out, um, it, it looks like uh, you know word salad. You know, it's all <laughs> vowels. So it is, but but yeah, that's. I mean, anytime we're ever talking anybody, I'm like, oh, Alf, and everyone's like, oh yeah. I mean, you don't have to say <laughs> anymore because uh, do you know another Alf? I don't. You know, so. But I was really talking in the intro about um, your involvement with the Bandier program and what, I mean, I know a little bit about it, but I want, why don't you explain what the Bandier program is, what, what it was when it started and now what it is now that it's a part of Newhouse, which is relatively what in the past couple of years that I became a part of Newhouse at SU. So, yeah. So Bandier program initially launched in 2007. Uh, Dave Rezik was at the helm of that program, really a big part of building this as a music business program that Syracuse University would have that did not require a performance side. And historically, Syracuse University 
has uh, this legacy program still in existence now, a music industry major that's half performance and half business. And, you know, there's a, a certain population working in the music business that are, uh, they're not musicians and they are, they are music business folks. And so this program was launched to cater to the undergraduate needs of students that wanted to work in the music business that didn't necessarily want to pursue a path with songwriting, performing, or any of the artistic side of the business. Right. So when it initially launched, we were in the College of Visual and Performing Arts. And, you know, we were right alongside the music industry performance program. And uh, I believe it was back in 2017. So when we moved back over uh, to Newhouse, and I say back over, it's actually a program moving over, but I was teaching at Newhouse prior to going to VPA. And then I came back to Newhouse. So we've been back for, you know, four full full years. And, um, you know, now we uh, have made a few changes with the curriculum as the music business has changed, looking a little bit more at some emerging technology, social media data, um, and revised some of the core industry classes that we have surrounding record labels, music publishing, uh, the live business and branded entertainment. And, um, you know, certainly lean into those experiences that we have outside of Syracuse as well with our Los Angeles campus, uh, with the London campus and really giving students hands-on experience through internship opportunities. And they're required to go through and complete three internships prior to graduation. Wow. So. That's amazing. I mean, as we all know, even since this program started in 07 to now, the, the, the business has vastly changed. And even when the business, even when it started in 2007, it had vastly changed. I mean, the music industry is still the music industry. Okay. But the components inside of it now are just, it's so vastly different, you know, and there's so many emerging technologies and so many reasons why, you know, a, a lot of it has landed into the artist. Uh, hands now. The artists can do so much more for themselves now that they couldn't do before from recording all the way up to being able to promotion and getting your song. I mean, before you needed a record label to get your music to the world. Now you don't need any of that. You can record it in your house and you can put it up on all the streaming services yourself without ever talking to anybody, you know? So. Yeah. You know, that's, that's a line that uh, I use in many of the classes when I step in to do a, sort of a guest lecture talking about the music business. I, you know, I look around the room and I say somebody in the room right now has audio recording software. Um, if we wanted to do a cover song, we could go and get the licensing, yeah. um, you know, right through the laptop right now. We can record it, mix it, master it, release it, you know, all this week. And, you know, by next week it's, it's worldwide on the streaming platform. So it's never been easier to get music out. Uh, but that also provides a little bit of a challenge because there's a lot of saturation and a lot of people are taking the opportunity to get music out. Right. Well, I know before, before we had gatekeepers, you know, like when, when you and I grew up, we had the eighties and we had radio as a gatekeeper. Uh, we had, um, we had, record labels were the gatekeeper and then we had filters like radio MTV uh, and all those outlets. So that was like how we discover new music, you know? Uh, and then you always had the underground people in the hardcore scene and, and all these little pockets where, you know, you tape trading and stuff like that with the, yeah. with the, 
with the, you know, the jam bands and all that stuff and the punk and the really dark side of death, you know, heavy metal and stuff like that. Um, so it, like it was, it was a chore. I mean, it was an adventure, you know, as a fan, but now it's like, now you want to go down the rabbit hole. Now you're like, holy crap, which, which rabbit hole do I go down and do, where do I find this? Like, how do I, how do I filter through all this music? Cause now it's too much, you know? So it's like, really, how the hell do you do this and find a niche that you really want to, you know, dig into? Yeah, it certainly can be a big challenge. And, you know, thankfully we do have some tools out there and, and you know, I do like the fact that we have some curators at Apple music. We've got the algorithm that pushes content to you based on your listening preferences um, on Spotify We've got, you know, other apps like TikTok that'll bring other music that maybe isn't ever going to make it on radio or in film or television or advertising. Um, but they've got uh, a chance to get some exposure and um, build a career off of songs that go viral on TikTok. So, you know, there's lots of different ways to go about it. And uh, it is very different because, you know, I remember, uh, like I'm sure you do, waiting for that CD to drop at the local record store and you're sitting there at midnight yeah. because, you know, you have to be one of the first people to get it so that you can share that with your friends the next day at school or, um, you know, you bootleg a tape by just recording things off the radio back in the day. Those things uh, are very different, very different experience. Now. Yeah, file, file, everyone's like, oh my God, file sharing, with you know, came and ruined the business. Like, okay, well, there's a lot of holes in the business and a lot of reason why file sharing, you know, caused that. I mean, I think that eventual drop was going to happen anyways. I go, but back in the day, file sharing took some time. You had to sit there and record and high speed dub and borrow this. I'm going to borrow five of your CDs and I'm going to copy them and I'm going to send them back to you and you're going to take five of my CDs. It just took a little bit longer. You know, the Grateful Dead only ever had one like top 40 hit ever, but yet they were the most successful touring band of their era in mainly because they just gave their fucking music away for free. They're like, yeah, just tape every show ever and just give it. We don't give a shit what you do with it. Just enjoy the, yeah. enjoy the music. And I think that's a lesson for a lot of the younger bands these days is looking at what those revenue streams are, because, you know, there are instances where you can not make money on your record, but really do well with touring and merchandising. Uh, there's other folks that, um, you know, songwriting is going to be their bread and butter those that get their songs into uh, advertisements, film, television, the sync world, you know, that can be their big revenue stream. Um, you also have people that are going out as creators and relying on the fans to support what they're doing um, musically and otherwise. So there's a million different ways to go about making a career in this business today. Uh, and, and like you said earlier, you know, the gatekeepers uh, of a decade, two decades ago really are, are far fewer these days. Yeah, they are. I mean, and I tell people like, I mean, record labels do serve a purpose because at some point you're going to get to a point where you're going to need someone like that. You know, before uh, you you needed them really for everything, for, you know, money, helping get studio time, putting you in connections with all those things. A lot of those things can be done on your own. And it's really, I think record labels not only looking for talent, but they're just looking for someone who's put in the work you know, at this point, you know, and they want to grab something and take something that's already got steam behind it and, you know, okay, let's add some juice, you know, cause then they can get you in the playlist. They can get you on tours they can get you festivals. They, that's what a record label is now. They're, they're at least in my view, their, their role has changed a little bit. Am I correct in that? 
Yeah, yeah, I think they, the role has changed, and that's why we see some of the major music companies leaning into the newer technologies. You know, like Warner Music uh, investing over five hundred million dollars into Roblox. That's because crazy, right? It, it is because they see that as an opportunity for them to promote some of their artists uh, on these virtual worlds. And, you know, Roblox in, I think it was November, uh, was averaging like 50 million users. Um, You know, I don't know if it was a day or a week or a month, but it was like, you know, a meaningful number. It probably uh, probably was a day because my daughter, listen, that's like my daughter comes to me all the time. Like, daddy, I heard this song on Roblox or I heard this song. Like she watches some, uh, gamers and stuff like that. And she comes to me, daddy, like, you know, how, what's this song? And I would like sound hound it or, you know, Shazam it and do all that. And I've been finding all this music and finding it's really, that's how she's discovering music. It's really crazy. So I get it. But yeah, I would imagine 50 million because Twitch has 30 million per day users. So yeah, yeah, I could definitely see that being a daily. That's insane when you think about it. So like all this, all these people that are bitching about Spotify payouts and all this other stuff and like these old guards is like, man, do you see any of these younger artists that are like blowing up on TikTok or Roblox or all these other technologies bitching about their Spotify playouts? No, they're not because they're, they've literally found other ways. They're like, yeah, Spotify, like, okay, cool. We're making some money over there, I guess. But you know, that's not what our focus is. Yeah. You know, it's, it's finding what is going to get you in front of lots of eyes and lots of ears. And, you know, this idea of these virtual concerts, I think, for some larger artists is going to, you know, that'll be a real big payday. But I'm also looking towards those indie bands that are tech forward saying, you know, we're going to lean into this and start putting on our own events. And yeah. they can, you know, share their own music, but then become curators for other indie artists. And you build those little communities and then, you know, it may mean, you know, once a week you're going in and uh, experiencing a new band on your lunch break because you can, you can log in and, uh, you know, escape the office for a little bit. Yeah. It's, it's, especially my deep dive into the world of Twitch in the past years. It's just like, I don't even, I don't even look at music. The, The way I approach my business is completely different than it was two years ago. And it's, it's been inspiring to say, because before I was kind of like on the grind, I felt like I was on a hamster wheel. And then once I finally embraced this technology and I'm finally, finally paying more attention to TikTok because you brought that up earlier. And I'm like, honestly, that's where music breaks now. That's where artists are breaking. They're breaking on TikTok off of like a 15, 20 second, 60 second video. Uh, and that's how artists are breaking, uh, you know, radio, radio doesn't really yeah. break anybody anymore. Radio's, Radio's different. Radio will always be radio. I mean, I had a conversation two weeks ago on my podcast with Dave Fresina, and we talked about the changes in radio. And radio will always exist in some level, but it's not breaking artists like it used to. No, that that that's not what it's for. You know. Yeah, you know, and radio is still used as a discovery tool for a lot of people. You know, because they're not going out and you know digging into some of the playlists pretty deep. So there is a pretty good percentage of people that are still discovering music, but it's not the bleeding edge of music. It's something that the socials and streaming services have pumped up for a little bit first before it really hits the mainstream. So, you know, there's, uh, there's different paths. And, and I think that's, that's a great thing because having only one path leads to, um, 
you know, just a lot of blockage in the system. You know, if yeah. you think of it as a big tube, uh, bands are going to get so far and then everything's going to get stuck. And exactly. now you can really choose your own adventure. And and that's really what happened in the early 2000s with, you know, obviously we, this, this discussion has been beaten to death with file sharing and everything that, you know, Napster and that whole thing. But they exploit, they didn't mean to exploit the flaw. They were literally, you know, everyone, I don't know if everyone knows it, but I mean, the people that were developing that technology and those technologies were doing that to sell it off. They weren't like, oh, let's, let's figure out how to topple the music industry evil. No, they were trying to come up with a technology and then go to these people and be like, hey, this is where we're seeing the business go. Why don't, here's the technology, sell it, and then they're going to go build something else, like Facebook, like they did, you know? So, like, yeah. uh, you know, they were trying to do that, and these people that were just making hand over fist, they just they fucking ignored it because you're exactly right. There's a blockage, and that was part of the problem that I had. You know, when Brand New Sing got signed in 2001, 2002, it was such a fucking weird time to be signing to a record label because they're like, they were kind of stuck in the old ways, but there was this new stuff, but they didn't really know how to navigate it. But for a band like us that was on an indie record label that did have potential for radio airplay, uh, each radio station at that time would only have a slot maybe one or two openings a week to put something into rotation. So someone mm-hmm. like us, even if we're paying a radio person to work our stuff to radio, uh, we're like, what if Nickelback came out with a record that week or Godsmack or like all these, I mean, let's make a list of all these people that were way ahead of us that were going to get those slots, you know? Yeah. So like there was the blockage. So everyone else was like, man, how do we break this band? Let's put them out on the road. And like, we try to do all these things, but that was what had happened. The blockage came in. And I think as fans, they were feeling the same. They're like, well, all right, we're kind of done with all this stuff. There's all this other stuff. Let's holy crap. I don't want to steal this, but I want to listen to this because I have no other way to get it. And, you know, that, that no other way to get it side of things really speaks to um, the commercial specialty shows. And that's, that's where those opportunities for the bands like yours were, you know, in that era. I, late, I guess it was, I don't know, 2010-ish, give or take, take a couple years. Uh, you know, I was on air at, at the K-Rock here in Syracuse for a couple years doing a commercial specialty show. And, you know, when I went in for that show, you know, they gave me the employment contract and I didn't even fill it out. I just said, Hey, you know, I'd rather have the, the autonomy to play what I want for these couple hours on the Sunday evening, than you know, take that paycheck, uh, which, you know, was part-time work. So a couple hours, it wouldn't have been much money anyway. But like, let me, let me keep the music. Let me keep the CDs that came in and let me have those two hours on the air. Let me play whatever I want. And they were cool with it. And that was an opportunity for these bands that, you know, were trying to get into rotation, but, you know, really were fighting up against those major label acts. Uh, it was a chance for them to get some airplay. And it was a really, really cool experience to see uh, some of these bands like, like Phoenix, you know, their song 1901 back in the day, um, became a huge hit and we were one of the first stations to really start pushing that band and early silver sun pickups and, you know, just go on and on with these indie rock bands. Uh, we got to break some of them uh, with commercial specialty shows. So that, that is something that, you know, you weren't getting all that music. It wasn't stocked in your big box retailers. No. And, you know, it, you know, we got to, 
at least I got to take some of those CDs home and start sharing the music, you know? Right. So let's, let's jump ahead and we might digress back from this, but like, there is so many emerging technologies. Now, let's not even talk about the ones that we talk about, the, st- the streaming services, um, the TikToks and all that. We know that those all exist, but there's this whole other realm that's starting to happen that I haven't had a chance to like go down the rabbit hole. I've got other people that are like pushing me to get there, and I'm like, man, I don't fucking know anything about this technology because obviously there's cryptocurrency and then there's a whole thing called nfts and i'm like what the fuck does this mean and everyone's like well this is kind of gonna be uh, i don't know if the future of music but it's definitely gonna be a big part of it i have no idea what the fuck they are really i kind of do but i can't explain them and what all right so let's explain to me what the nfts are because i know you're 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 big into them and second of all how are they going to really benefit artists from myself all the way up to, you know, the biggest artists in the world. Sure. So, you know, NFTs, uh, that's short for non-fungible tokens. And essentially this is a digital, um, file that you will own. And a lot of times it's built around art, but you can include music, you can do video and it's built off of the blockchain technology. So there's, that's really going to give you the opportunity to show that you have verifiable proof that you are the owner of that piece of digital currency or that digital item. And, uh, you know, a lot of people will say, well, I can just take a screenshot of that, you know, JPEG or whatever. Um, which if you're only interested in the image, absolutely the case, take that screenshot. NFTs are really not for you. Um, but the NFTs themselves do have some utility for the rights owners. In this case, we'll say that the artist, owns their music, they own their artwork, their um, promo photos, their music videos, you know, in that case, they could release a series of non-fungible tokens. So these digital images that then have um, sort of embedded content in them. You could release, say, single artwork. And within that single artwork, now you embed a link to a digital file, a streaming version of that song, um, maybe you're going to give the stems to the songs. Anything digital, you can really package with that. And the beauty of the NFT is with blockchain technology, you can include a smart contract with that item. Smart contract will mean you can designate a certain percentage of the resale value to come back to the original creator of that content. So, to put this into a, uh, a tangible music perspective, you sell a brand new Sin CD or a Just Joe CD mm. and the fan buys it from you, say 10 bucks. If they resell it, you don't make any money on that. Nope. If that next person resells it, you don't make any money on that. Whereas with an NFT, maybe you sell it for $10 and you might say, um, take 10% of every resale. So that time that the first person who bought it from you, you know, for $10, they take it and they're going to resell it. Maybe it's gone up in value because more people want it. If they sell it for $20, now you're making an additional $2. So your one item, instead of just making $10 now made you 12. That's, that's already way more money than any record deal back in the day made you (laughs) in one (laughs) fucking sale, right? That's true. Uh, You know, because most of those deals, the artist never recouped 
no. you know, the, the labels invested and then any additional investment in marketing um, was something that they added to your books and they just kept you uh, non-recouped. And so they kept the royalties. Um, in this case, you can see how if you are popular, there will be um, NFTs that will be resold multiple times over. And if you're participating in every resale, then that can be an income stream for you as an artist. I think this will really work for concert tickets. And, you know, the NFT concert ticket is something that makes sense because we're already in a world where we have digital concert tickets. Yeah. And with the NFTs, being able to participate on the resale is so important because how many of these tickets are bought up by scalpers or bots all, and then resold all out of them. profit? You know, I watched, I watched yeah. that happen earlier this year or last fall. I was trying to buy tickets from Morgan Wallen for my my stepdaughter for Christmas. And I was like, oh, crap. I missed. Like, it was two minutes into the presale. I'm like, shit. And I sat down and they were gone. They were all gone and they were already reselling for like five times the amount. I'm like, I can't spend $1,500 on two fucking tickets for a lawn seats. I'm like, how yeah, does this yeah. happen? I'm like, it's, it, it's, it's, this is all supply and demand, right? Right. You know, it, and the idea is if the scalpers and the bots can't resell those, then the value is not going to, uh, to rise. You know, if the if the ticket price is too high, and you're like, I'm not spending fifteen hundred dollars on two tickets, and those don't sell, well, then those uh, companies are out that money. Now, they're doing it in volume so that they hope that their sales are higher than their their losses. But the artist is not participating in that resale. The promoter is not participating in that resale, and oh. you know, the artist is is bringing the show, and the promoter is taking that financial risk. So they should be participating. If these were NFT tickets and that on sale was $100 and now they are selling for $1,000 a piece, the artist should profit more. And the promoter who took the risk on bringing the show in should profit a little bit more. And so that's where NFTs can have some you know, really solid utility. It's not going to be for everyone. And, and I definitely see there are lots of uh, arguments to, uh, to argue against having NFTs in the music space because they're not really uh, ecologically friendly right now. You know, it takes a lot of energy to, to mint them and you know, there, there's a downside to them, but I think you have to really take a look at um, like, what is the next format? We went through, you know, vinyl cassettes, CDs, digital downloads, streaming. Now, what is the next format? Because the major music companies want that next format. That's when they'll generally make a little bit more money. We saw that with the, the rise of CDs, you know, yeah. the boom there. Um, so they're looking at this, but it's really been the independent community that stepped in to embrace uh, the NFTs in a bigger way from the outset. It's, it's so much to kind of wrap my brain around. And I'm just like, Man, someone like me, if, you know, I don't, I mean, I have a decent fan base, but nothing like, I'm like, would I even make any money off of NFTs? Would I make more money? Because when I put out a record, I still put out some CDs. I'll print like 20 of them 
and I sell them and mm-hmm. that's about it, you know? And I'm just like, okay, cool. I, you know, Subcat Studios will print them up for me and, and make it real simple. But like, I'm like, why am I even doing this anymore? Like, because all the cars that you buy now, you can't, even, there's not a fucking CD player, <laughs> you know? So it's like, and so I'm like, what, where are these people playing these CDs? You know, so my mom does. No, they're you not. Know? They're not. They're not. You know, and and just like a lot of people buying vinyl are not playing the vinyl. Right. But the fans want to support the artists that they love. Correct. And so you see artists like Kings of Leon. You know, they put out a series of NFTs with uh, Yellowheart, and the the bundles really included for some of them an NFT and a copy of vinyl. So now you're getting the physical and the digital bundled together. Right. Which, and you can do that with downloads. You can do that with CDs. You can do that with uh, concert posters. So there's a lot of things that you can do to help sell the physical items bundled with that digital piece. That's it's, it's really interesting and it's exciting as hell, you know, especially for someone like me, but I kind of feel like, <laughs> You know, I come, I, when I, when I first started buying music, it was records and cassettes, you know, and then, yeah. and then records went away and it was cassettes and, and CDs. And then eventually my cassettes went away and then it was CDs and then it, and then it went into downloads. It's like, I feel like my, our generation, it's like, what the fuck? We've had to buy this goddamn, this Black Sabbath album seven times now. Okay. How many times do I have to buy this goddamn record? You know, and now I'm back to buying them all on vinyl again because I listen to vinyl all the time because it's my thing. You know, so, but it's, yeah. it's, 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 but there is, and I, I've referenced this in other podcasts. Uh, I heard Ice T on Jamie Justice podcast from Haybreed, and he was just equating, he's like, you know, listen, I've, he's, I mean, Ice T's highly successful, both as an actor and obviously as a musician, millions of records sold, platinum records on his wall. And he says, he goes, I, he goes, I made more money. He goes, I have platinum records on my wall and I'm looking at him and he goes, I made no money on that record. I literally owe the record label still to this day with, for that platinum fucking record on my wall. He goes, I only need 10,000 fans. He goes, no, no, I need 5,000 fans. He goes, you know what? I only need a thousand people. I need a thousand fans. And he goes, every time I put this out, a new t-shirt, I was listing all these different things. He goes, I put out like 10 or 15 items, whether it's a CD all the way down to like a keychain every year. And I want all thousand people to buy it. And he started adding up all these numbers. And at the end of the day, it was like it, just those 15 items. So on those thousand people grossed them over $250,000 a year. Yeah. So he's like, that's all I need. I only need a thousand fans. That's it. Just a reminder, the Just Joe podcast is brought to you by EJA Moving Services. Located out of Utica, Rome area, they helped move me a couple years ago. They were fantastic. Check them out, ejamoving.com at 315-335-0516. The Just Joe podcast is brought to you by the Royal Auto Group and Salesman Supreme, Jason Allen. He knows how to make a deal. Trust me, he's a good buddy of mine. I've seen him do it. You guys looking for something new, something pre-owned, something new to you? Take the short drive down 81 to Cortland, New York, to the Royal Auto Group. They have four different franchises there. They have Chevy, they have Buick, they have Nissan, they have Subaru, and they have many lenders for any credit situation. 
Their service is open for all your vehicle needs as well as the state-of-the-art body shop. So stop down and see Jason today, theroyalautogroup.com, or find Jason on Facebook and tell him that Just Joe sent you. The Royal Auto Group, home of the no-hassle, razzle-dazzle, $400 referral fee. This is just a reminder that the Just Joe podcast is brought to you by Advantage Hardwood Floors Incorporated. 315-463-0674 for all your hardwood floor needs. That's the beauty of building a community around you as a, an artist, a creator. Um, you know, it could be a label, it could be a venue. You build that community, then you find a way to monetize, not in, in an exploitive way, like no, no. monetize in a way that, that, you know, the fans are getting something that they want, but it also keeps your business uh, moving forward and, and progressing, whether you're, you know, independent or uh, have a larger company. Yeah. And, you know, being able to, uh, to look at what your fans want because Ice-T might be able to sell a keychain. Uh, I know a lot of bands would never be able to sell a keychain, <laughs> you know? So you find out what is it that, that your fans actually want. And for some bands, it is the, the digital product. It is that NFT. Yeah. It is, uh, you know, that Zoom call. Um, it is maybe a, a private, like, community text line that you're going to get updates from, you know, the artists themselves. But, you know, with the NFT if that was something originally owned by the band, which generally it is when it's minted that way, the blockchain will keep track of all of the owners along the way. So you can trace that back and say, yes, this is one that was owned by insert your favorite band, you know? Um, and that matters to some people, but it doesn't matter to everybody. No, but and it's going to be interesting as that grows. And obviously there's the whole underside of it, the, the technical side of all that and that being able to cost a lot of energy. I mean, someone like Adam Weitzman is like, Hey, I'm building this giant crypto mining facility in skinny Atlas. And everyone's yep. like, Oh, that's going to drain water and all this tech. It's going to all these resources, literal other, you know, electrical resources, all this stuff to be able to do something like that. But as those things get bigger and bigger, NFTs or whatever the next form of technology comes along will be a little bit easier. I mean, I can get a CD printed up for a buck now, you know, turn around yeah. for $5 and sold it for, you know, for four, you know, I mean, trying to get a vinyl printed as an independent artist is virtually impossible right now, or they'll just tell you, Hey, it's 18 months for a turnaround because the vinyl camps are just like the, the places are just so backed up. And if Adele is putting right. on a record, they're going to stop production on the just Joe album to put the, you know, money behind the Dell records. So there's, it's interesting, but what we're all getting back down to in this part of the conversation is that the fans want something to take away. And I think that was something we, that was lost in the file sharing era. Um, that is now coming back around that people crave. They want something from the artist, you know, they want, they want to touch something. They want something that they can say, this is their theirs. And they want to find a way to be able to support these artist in some way. I'm not seeing that. Absolutely. Because music holds a place in all of us that is not replaceable by other media. You know, music really can evoke a lot of emotion and we generally will associate certain songs with certain locations, places, people, uh, memories. And, you know, those things um, we may not have experienced in five or 10 or 15 years, but all of a sudden you hear that song and it brings you back. And that's, that's something that's really hard to replace. So, you know, the music community uh, is, is something that the fans want to support. I could not imagine 
any city without a music community. Right. Like ever, no matter where you go in the world, even if you're in the like the remotest part of the world where people have really not been, you know, influenced by technology or social media or like in the deep, dark jungles of uh, the Amazon, there is music involved in their society in some way, shape or form, even if it's, you know, from a religious standpoint or just someone whistling while they're, you know, doing their daily stuff. Music, music is a part of all of us. And that's 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 something you we'll never lose, you know, that's not 100%, you know, so it's like, okay, how do we help the business navigate? How do we help new artists navigate through all of this? And what I tell all my young artists that, you know, that I talk to them, like, listen, man, there is so much at your disposal now that I didn't have when I was your age, you know, from just recording technology and building, you know, spend a thousand dollars. You can get a pretty decent sounding studio in your house and get some good sounds and, uh, and learn how to video edit. If you get a band together, like everybody take a little role, like, Hey, you're going to be the social media guy, or why don't you learn how to do graphic design? Why don't you learn how to do this? And and you make all that stuff in house instead of like, just like, Hey, I'm just going to be an artist. I'm going to write music and everyone else is going to do that for you. It's like, embrace all this stuff and yes it takes time but it's only going to make you more successful in the long run you know find ways to create as many revenue streams as possible so if one revenue stream starts to slow down you have two or three other ones that are constantly doing there find one that's a passive revenue stream that's just just money coming in no matter what every month you know you know yeah you you hit it out of the park with the idea of you know the, the videos and the video editing and all of that short form uh, video right now is an absolute essential. Yes. And there's been a few prominent artists that have stepped out and said, you know, I really, uh, I just want to make music and I don't want to be a content creator, which is sort of that overarching term for the TikTok star, the Twitch streamer, right. the YouTuber, all that. And, um, you know, I would counter that and say, you really need to look at your music career as an opportunity to do some multimedia storytelling. Yes. And you'll tell some of that content in written form. Some of that content's going to come on your album. And then, you know, it's the video side of this as well. And we're not just talking music videos or, or live performances, but what is, what does your week look like? What does your month look like? And by building that consistent engagement with telling your story in and around music, you're, you're building that community. Yeah. And you are starting to facilitate these relationships with people that are following you and following your story, much like they may have followed an episodic television series 15 years ago. Yep. You know, they're not binging your content, but every day when they see you writing, releasing content, you are, you're working on this new merch line, you know, give them a peek at that yeah. so that when it comes out, links in the bio. Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest. I mean, I do miss the days of where, our rock stars and our idols had, there was, you know, there was a mysterious side, like growing up, there was always these talks in school, like, Oh my God, Ozzy Osbourne, you know, slaughters puppies at, at his, at his <laughs> show. And you know, you hear all these things and yeah, I kind of miss part of those days, but you can still create that type of mysterious thing because I felt like for a while, I was like the same person who, I just referenced Ozzy was also the same person that blew the curtain off and like pulled the curtain back from the wizard of Oz, you know? And then all of a sudden he had a reality show and we got to watch Ozzy as a real person. And I'm like, yeah. Oh man, that kind of just ruins everything. 
But at the same time, it was also a way to like, you know what? No, I didn't like it at first, but now I understand it because now these people, they want and they want to be let in a little bit. You don't have to. And that's your choice how far you want to let them in, because that's a slippery slope. And I've had to do that, too. I've had to scale back because I'm like, holy shit, I've almost let them in too far. You know, um, I do have to have my own autonomy in my own life where, you know, it's not being constantly looked at or someone wanting to know. But like that goes a long friggin' way. And that's one thing I've learned on Twitch, man. Like people just crave shit like that, you know, um, and merchandise. Now I barely even print anything up. I use print on demand services that are fucking amazing. You know, sure. so, so if I put something up and was like, Hey, I want to buy a keychain or a onesie for my kid. I'm like, all right, well, I'll put it up and put a price on it. And I don't have to print it up. And if I sell one, I make a little bit of money and they get what they wanted out of it. I have this vast store. It doesn't cost me anything. It costs me nothing. They do all that. It's beautiful. You know, cause it, you used to have to get that order of like 244 t-shirts and you know, like how many double XLs do you get? How many smalls do you get? You know, like that was always something that uh, I remember having conversations with, with the bands that I worked with, you know, figuring out what quantities we wanted in every size so that we didn't end up with, you know, merchandise just sitting around at the very end of tour or the end of tour or like years later. I still think that there's merchandise from brand new send from the touring days. And we haven't really toured in, you know, 14 years. So there's still stuff somewhere in a box that was somebody of house me like, man, remember those t-shirts? Like we just didn't sell any smalls or we didn't sell that, you know, and we're sitting on those. That's the biggest thing. I mean, that's still a big thing. If you're a heavy touring band, you still have to, it figured it out because merchandising and shows is still a big thing, but um, there's ways to figure out that trend a lot easier than it was like, all right, well the last tour, like with brand new sim, we knew we had to trip. We had to print up triple X quadruple X, you know, uh-huh. big sizes. Cause you know, we had big, you know, big dudes or, you know, we just had bigger people. That was the sizes that were getting bought. We didn't sell a lot of mediums and smalls and guys. Yeah. So. And with the with the pop punk groups that I was working with, it's like those smalls uh, and mediums were the bulk of the orders. <laughs> you know, you go out with a band like Honor Bright, and you're you're playing a Warped Tour date. Um, you know, the dudes that might <laughs> might be wearing XLs normally uh, now are squeezing into those mediums. <laughs> you know, like that was that was the style back then. You know, oh man, it's 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 been an interesting thing, and I think the one thing that helps us. W- we're not too old and we grew up with these technologies and these technologies are constantly changing. Cause when, when I was born in 74, it was, it was, I think eight tracks were a thing in vinyl. And then it just kept, we've been able to watch every technology move. So I think we're a little more adaptable, a little more open to that as opposed to some of these other people that are slightly older than us that are still like fighting against these technologies. Like what, what the fuck you stop, just stop. You're not going to win this technology. It's not 1965 anymore. It's not 1983 where, you, you know, it's not. It's, everything's changed. So embrace tech, not, not technology because all these younger artists are, you know. Yeah. You know, thinking of how things have changed, uh, you know, one of the exercises I really love to do with some of my classes is to go to the Recording Industry Association of America's website. And they have the U.S. sales database, which I believe shows sales from, I think it's 1973 or 1974 through, uh, I believe 2020 is the most recent year that they've got up. And by format, 
and you can break down what the market looked like. And they've got this bar graph and you can see sort of the rise of the business and the crash of the business and the rise again. Um, but the formats that were out there, you know, like kiosk music, remember like there were chances to go out and plug your iPhone or iPod into a kiosk to download music directly to that. Oh yeah. I forgot you know, about that. Yeah. You know, uh, the super audio CDs or dual discs or, you know, DVD audio, like other formats that, the industry tried and really didn't catch on. Uh, it's remarkable to go back and take a look at that. So, you know, for anyone that's interested in numbers or the history of formats, uh, just the U S sales database on the RIAA.com website. I've, I've never looked at it. I'm, I'm actually, when we're done with this and eat my lunch, I'm going to look at something like that. So it's, it's so it's, it's fascinating. You can go down all these different rabbit holes, but again, it's like, Again, I'm not seeing these younger artists complain about their Spotify payouts. And, and and let's be honest, a lot of these younger artists that are breaking on TikTok and everything else, they own 100% of the content. They own the publishing, yep. they own they own um they own everything, 100% of the average. So, if they get a million streams to them, their payout Yeah, a million is, they're they're making thirty five to forty five hundred dollars on that million streams. Yeah. Whereas someone like if like the deal that we had with Century Media with our with Brand New Sin, you know, we had six, you know, five sometime you know, five songwriters. We split everything that way. Then we had um a publishing deal. So we gave up, you know, twenty I think twenty percent or whatever percentage, uh fifteen percent to the publishing company and stuff like that. So when I see the streams I see like, wow, there's a lot of streams. But then I think about all the people who got their hands in that freaking stream. And I'm like, Jesus, man, <laughs> I'm like I could yeah. see if I owned 100% of this uh, because I'm making more off like fractions of those amounts of streams with the stuff that I completely own with just Joe. And I own 100% of all of that stuff. I'm making the same amount of money with literally a fraction of the amount of streams that I'm getting with brand new scent. Um, and, and I think that's, that's an opportunity today because when you look at developing your career, the longer you can hold on to your rights, uh, the better, if you're going to get into a deal with a publisher or label, you'll have a little bit more negotiating power. Yeah. And if you decide not to, then we've got all these label services companies that you can hire to get the same type of service that a major label artist would get. Uh, but you're just paying the bill for it. Yeah. So you're not locked into a contract. No, that, that, I mean, you know, like I tell people like, 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 how do you, how do you land a deal to get your song in like a movie or uh sync licensing, you know, for let's, let's, let's talk about that. So sync licensing uh for the people that are out there, it's like, you know, your songs in a video game, your songs in a commercial, your songs being used in the background of wh- whatever sync licensing is, is a gigantic income for a lot of people. And there's people out there that you've never heard of that are making really good livings being able to get their songs placed in all these different places. Even if it's a 15-second window and you can't even hear the music, it's still being paid. You're still getting paid on it. So back in the day, your record label, your publisher would kind of do that. But now it's like, how does an independent artist do that? And there are services out there that do that, correct? There there are artist services that will do that. Uh, It's an area where a lot of artists... Uh, don't ever get their foot in the door, uh, partially because they don't know how, or, um, you know, maybe their music isn't something that's going to be really embraced commercially in that sense. Um, 
you know, if we look at, at the recording industry itself, right now, sync for, for the master side represents 2 to 3% of the overall income for the masters. Whereas uh, streaming, like digital services, Spotify, Apple Music, so on and so forth, that's 83% of the revenue is coming from there. So it shows that there are lots and lots of artists that are streaming their content, but fewer of those artists are embracing pushing their music into advertising, television, film. And, you know, now with all the, the sort of Netflix type streaming services and shows that are originals to those platforms, there's more opportunity for artists to get their music in. And, you know, for an indie band, you might get a thousand, two thousand, three thousand dollars for that placement. Right. In, in a show like that. Or, um, or, if if you do, talking- or, or if you don't get money up front, it's like, all right, cool. Like when we got our song placed in School of Rock, they're like, listen, we don't really have any money to give you up front. But if this movie does really well, you're going to make money. And honestly, I make more money off of that minute and a half that you can't even fucking hear the song. It's there. You can't hear it. And that's fine. But, that you know, that's seven, eight hundred dollars a year on my side, you know, being cut between six people in a publishing company. It's like, wow. If you just placed a few more in all these things, especially you you hit it on the head right there with like, there's so many of these shows and they're like their budgets to go out and grab some of these bigger artists. And they do that. And they're like, all right, we don't have any more budgets, but like, let's give somebody an upstart. Well, I like that song. We'll place it. And like, Hey, we don't have any money up front, but like, Hey, if this Netflix show does really freaking well, you're going to get residuals for years, for years. And, and, you know, the the thing with some of these streaming platforms like the like Apple TV Plus and, you know, uh, the Netflix, they are investing a lot in content because they want to compete across, you know, the, the streaming video playing field. And they are investing in the audio. Maybe they're not going to invest the $25,000 or $50,000 that a major label artist would ask for for that sync. But they can invest a few thousand in indie acts. Yes. And I know some people will say, well, you know, why isn't the indie act going to get that 20 or 25 K or whatever? Um, part of it's negotiating power, yep. but you know, that, that opportunity to get in there and put a few thousand dollars in your bank account is awesome. Yeah. And yeah. you know, do it. Yeah. I mean, I listen to, I listen to a lot of, you know, like when I watch a show like Yellowstone and I really love, the music that was on Yellowstone. And I'm really excited because there was a couple of my friends in that genre. They're using a lot of like um, newer, not like the country that everyone assumes like Luke Bryan and stuff like they're going fine and all these country and roots and Americana artists for yeah, these shows. Yeah. Uh, even someone like Ryan Bingham, who is I'm a huge fan of, and he was freaking on the show. He's an actor on the show and they're using all these, all this music. And the cool thing is, is like, at the end of every episode, I'm like, man, what was that? And I go over to Tune Find, you know, and I find that stuff and I start making a playlist. And then I find out that someone's already got a playlist on, on, on Spotify. Like, hey, I add all the music every week from all this. And then I got this playlist. And then that discovers all these new artists, you know. And I'm like, man, same with Sons of Anarchy. Sons of Anarchy, I've, I discovered so much music because of the musical director on there took chances with a lot of small artists that you never heard of. And then they became, I don't, I wouldn't say big artists, but they got to a point where they could 
tour a little bit more and it gave them some gas, you know? Yeah. You know, it's the power of a, a really great music supervisor. You know, when they can really connect that music to that scene and you know, it's, it's good business all the way around. Yeah. All right. Well, I know you got a, only a little bit more time left here and stuff like that, but like, where do you, I mean, 20 years from now, can, I mean, can you see that far ahead for the music industry? I mean, cause some of the people that you're, you're teaching at school are going to be the people that are literally running the business in 20 years. You know, these are, yeah, you know, yeah. you know uh, they're going to be in their forties, uh, their late thirties, you know, maybe pushing 50, maybe, you know, so these are the people that are really like right now is when they have to like, okay, let's, yeah, we can talk about NFTs, but like, we got to start thinking 10, 15, 20 years down the road. And uh, I mean, what do you, can you even see that far? I have a hard time seeing that far because everything's changing so fucking fast. I can't imagine what it's going to be like in 20 years. Things are changing, but I think that we can look at um, what has happened and what needs to happen to see where some of these changes could potentially lead. And I think looking at, um, protections for artists, you know, copyright protections. Yes. I think that's something that we're going to see over the next 20 years. Uh, really, I think that's going to change in a little bit. And I say that because of the music creation process right now, where a lot of artists uh, in certain genres, you know, dance, hip hop, um, will do some beautiful work with sampling uh, older materials. And right now, the way that the industry is structured and set up, you know, that's something where you've got to go to those rights holders and get all of the clearances. Yeah. You've got to clear the master, got to clear the publishing. And uh, I can see the discussions happening about a compulsory license for sampling, much like we'd see compulsory licensing right now with the mechanicals. You know, once you release a song publicly, uh, any one of us can go get the license to do a cover version of that song. Yep. That, that can't be stopped. It's compulsory. So I think that looking at this with the, uh, through the lens of sampling, that might be something that we see if we're looking at this current generation moving into those roles in 20 years. I think they're going to they're gonna argue that a little bit more. Um, right now, songwriters... Um, big conversation with what the streaming services are going to pay out to songwriters, to publishers. You know, the record label makes a lot more on the master from streaming services than the songwriters do. Yeah. And I can see that changing to compensate the songwriters in a bigger way. And that's the national music publishers association. Uh, they've been really fighting that fight and it's going to take a little while longer. They may get, um, you know, some higher rates for a few, a few years, you know, but Spotify's pushing back and Apple's pushing back. And, you know, ultimately, I think as a music community, we will get a little fed up with the tech companies. Yeah. Just reaping in all the profits. Because Spotify's a tech company. Apple's a tech company. Yeah, they are. And, and, that's, and that's why I try to explain to people. I go, part of the reason that these rates are so low is that a lot of these rates were put into place long before they even foresaw what this would become, this technology would become. Um, and granted, I mean, you, there's this is a whole other podcast within itself to be able to talk about what 
one stream means. Everyone's like, well, I want a penny per stream and all that. I'm like, well, yeah, but shit, that's not going to be a good business model for everybody. But yes, I do agree that, you know, that they have to be higher for Christ's sakes, you know, like you're, you know, there's got to yeah, be some kind of, there's got to be legislation. And that's really what comes down. It's freaking legislation, you know. And, and it's also ownership, you know, where you've got some of the music, major music companies that are part owners of Spotify. Yes. And so when you have, you know, a few percentage points of ownership of a company that large, it's still valued at a few billion dollars. Yeah. And, you know, the music business, the recorded music business in the United States, um, last figures, uh, again, 2020 was $12.2 billion business. And, you know, when you own a couple points of Spotify and that's worth a meaningful percentage of the overall music business value on the recorded side, uh, there might be a little conflict of interest there, you know, because as long as Spotify does well, and artists remain unrecouped, the labels will do fine. And I think that, um, I think that perspective from, from the artist side will change because there's more leverage with them going to artist services and not necessarily signing with the label, um, or, or just getting a much better deal from the label. Yeah. And that's why, you know, it took years for like, you know, it took a few years for Zeppelin to get to streaming services. It took a little while for the Beatles to get the streaming service. I mean, Tool just finally got to the streaming services. But they, what they did is they were just making sure they were going to get the right freaking deal. So I guarantee they're Spotify and they probably got a bunch of money up front and their royalty, their rates are not the same rates that I get. That's for sure. You know, so there is, there's yeah. definitely leverage and, and that that's the way the music industry rolls, but it's like, okay, stop focusing on just that part of it. And again, going back to what we've talked about this whole time, it's like, there's so many other ways to do this. And if you don't want to put your music up on it, then don't do it. There's other things you could have up on Bandcamp and like really set your price on Bandcamp, you know, and drive yeah. everyone towards your Bandcamp, you know, and Bandcamp, over the past couple of years is like usually every Friday it's like, Hey man, we're going to give you 100% of whatever the sales are this week on Friday, yeah. you know? So you have ways of being able to like just make money. I mean, I have people go on there and buy my whole digital catalog, you know, I had someone do it yesterday and I made 80 bucks, 80 bucks. Yeah. I mean, think of this. Could you make $1 off of every fan a year, you know, from a personal standpoint, like my own TikTok following is in the 230,000 follower range. You know, if I could monetize that for a dollar <laughs> every year, that's, that's, you know, nearly a quarter million dollars. <laughs> and that's just with a dollar. That's just a dollar. So, yeah, I know. You know, there's, there's ways to go about making this a career for you. And we have missed that middle-class musician. I think for the last few years when we're talking about the streaming world, because that middle-class musician that doesn't have a huge following was still selling CDs and vinyl and, you know, the, the pickle jar on uh, the merch table was getting a couple bucks here and there when you're playing bar shows and you made enough to get by. Um, Now getting paid a third to a half cent per stream is, not sustainable for that middle class musician. I, honestly, I I don't even look at like when CD Baby or TuneCore because those are two things I use. I don't even look. I don't even look. Like every once in a while, I get a direct deposit. I'm like, all right, cool. I don't. I don't even look because it's like I, it's passive income. Yeah, I, I I do look, and I look because you know you can make 
a couple like really compelling cases as to the value of a song or value of your music catalog. You know, I've, I've got uh, records that I put out for 15 years and, and granted the artists are not active anymore, uh, but they still make uh, a few bucks here or there, you know, on the streaming services. And, you know, my average payout is 0.0047 cents <laughs> per stream. So when I see a penny on the ground, I stop and I pick it up. I, at one point in my life, I was too good to stop and pick up that penny. But now I'm like, that penny represents like eight minutes of somebody listening to music that I've released on my label. And, you know, if you go out and you buy uh, a latte from your favorite coffee shop, uh, you know, four seventy five or whatever, it'll take you a thousand streams to pay for that cup of coffee. <laughs> if, you have a car, if you have a car payment every month of $400, now you're looking at like 85,000, 90,000 streams to pay for that car payment. If you have a bigger bill, 2,500 bucks or so, you know, you might have uh, a half million streams, 600,000 streams to pay that $2,500 bill, you know, and think of the time spent engaging with that content. And the ultimate question is, is the time spent engaging with that content and the payout something that is equitable? Yeah. And, you know, for the middle the middle class musicians, when you look at it, you know, you get a streaming payout check of $15. You know, that's a lot of time people spent, you know, in your community listening to that song. Absolutely. But it's not a lot of money. No, that's why years ago, that's why everyone's like, well, why do you do, you do have gigs and then you have lovegrams and you do this stuff at home and you put up tunage and you have advertisers on that. I'm like, yeah, I'm just like, this is how, if I want to be a working musician, this is how I want to, earn my living, I have to hustle like that. I have to have massive amounts of income streams. I'm always thinking of different ways of getting income streams because that's ultimately how I'm going to be able to pay my bills. If not, then I got to go get a day job and then just play music on the weekends or when, when I feel like it, you know, that's, that's the skinny of it all. And it's a lot of freaking time and work, but I can't myself, I can't imagine doing anything else. It's all I've done for 20 years at this point. My pretty much my yeah. entire adult life has done this. I don't even know if, I mean, I, I have college degree, but I mean, it, it's nothing. I'm going to have to go back and restart over again to do all that shit. So that's how you do yeah, it. Man. You know, you have to look at those revenue streams. And, and I know we've talked a lot about money, you know, over the last little bit here, but you know, the business is not all about money. And that's one of those things that uh, I've had conversations in the last few days with some young artist managers. And, you know, when you're trying to break a band, there isn't much money coming in at all. And I said, you know, if your motivation is money, you might as well get a job as a rideshare driver because you'll make 25 or $30 an hour. And, you know, your, your commission check of 15% of zero is still zero. <laughs> so, you know, you have to be in it for, for reasons because you, you love the artists, you want to support them and you want to build the business with them, recognizing that early on there aren't many revenue streams when you're just starting out. No, there isn't. man. So I think that's a good jumping off point, man. I'm, I'm going to have to have you back on as this technology and everything keeps moving. And I actually got to have a more of a conversation with you about NFTs. Cause I have, I have some friends of mine. <laughs> I have a buddy of mine. He's an old stoner buddy from high school and he's in the whole crypto world and NFT. And he tried to explain to me and I'm just like, dude, I don't, I can't put my brain around this. So one of these days I gotta, 
I got to figure it out because I would love to try it once and see what kind of leverage it gets, especially because my my audience is. Yeah, I know where my core audience is, like 35 to, to 50 and 60 year old people. So it's like, do they even understand this technology? You know, do I, you know, they're catching on. I mean, there's a lot of my friends or a lot of that fan base that has finally caught on to Twitch and they're learning about all that stuff on there. So they're open to it. So part of me is like, man, if they if I slowly ease this into them, this could be something that these people could embrace. Yeah. yeah well, you know, anytime happy to, happy to jump in and show you, I've minted a bunch myself, so I'll, uh, I'll show those off to you and Absolutely. take you through the entire process. And, you know, maybe it's something that will, uh, hit record and do another podcast episode or stream it live to Twitch yes. and, uh, let everyone see. Absolutely. Behind the curtain. All right, man. Oh, thank you so much for your time, brother. I appreciate it. I appreciate All you. Right. And uh, we'll see you soon. Take care. Bye. Bye. I know that was kind of a nerdy podcast right there. <laughs> that was definitely a nerdy podcast, but like, I love having people like off on because, um, yeah, we talk sex, drugs and rock and roll and crazy stories with my other musician friends and, and stuff like that. But it's really good to talk to somebody that's on the business side of things, especially someone who's at a school and in a program that is literally one of the best in the world. Um, we could have even talked more about that as as it goes on but we'll bring him back because i do i like sharing this i don't know if it's boring to you guys but it, it fascinates me because this is my world and this is how my money is made and this is how the world that i've lived in for you know over a little over two decades at this point so um and there's so much changing uh to i hope if you guys find it interesting where you're looking behind the curtain and getting to see what all these things mean instead of just seeing a headline from you know god knows who complaining about you know streaming payouts or you know all oh, the artists is just getting fucked by these streaming services or you know getting fucked by promoters and all these other things like we're all this symbiotic one unit you know none of us are trying to yeah, there are people trying to take advantage of people out there in any way, shape, or form. But at the same time, a promoter is nothing without an artist. An artist is nothing without a venue. And, you know, we, we can sit here and talk about this circle for a minute, but we're all in this together. Um, and now that we got through that really rough time of where everyone was just stealing, it was like the Wild West. Everyone was just stealing music and no one was buying anything. There wasn't a streaming services. And even when there was like, well, we're going to pay 99 cents per download. Everyone's like, well, fuck it. I'm still going to just keep stealing it. Um, now that we've gotten to the other side of that, uh, there's a whole other side of like how to monetize your career uh, and not just off of streams and music, but so many other ways. So I hope you guys found it as interesting as I did. I appreciate all for uh, spending some time. Only had an hour of him before before he had to get back into doing what he does up at SU. Um, but I'll play, post links um, to the Bandier program. If any of you are out there interested, it doesn't matter. You can go back to school for it. If anyone's uh, kids are looking to get into the music industry programs, it's a great program. Uh, and they got a lot of great things that go on up at SU as well that you can watch virtually and also attend now that COVID restrictions are coming back a little bit backwards. They have a lot of seminars that I've, I've attended even not being a student, just go up and kind of watch some of this, how this works because uh, any up and coming artists or any artists that have been established, um, we're never learning. We're never, we should never stop learning about the things that can make us potentially money or to further our careers. Cause that's what we're out to do. Right? So episode 52 in the can, uh, man, who will we have next week? I have no idea. 
I got a list a mile long and I'm going to keep bringing people on. Thank you for listening. Huge shout outs to my sponsors. You guys heard from them. EGA Moving Services located out of the Utica area, servicing all of Central New York and beyond for your moving services of anything. Also, Advantage Hardwood Floors, my buddy Charlie Abbo. If you guys want some, uh, you know, hardwood floors done, refinished, anything else, anything hardwood floors, my good buddy Charlie is there for you. And if you're out there looking for a new car, something new to you, my good friend Jason Allen down at the Royal Auto Group in Cortland, take that short drive down 81 or wherever you're coming from, go visit him. He is a man to make the deal These are the people that make the podcast run. If you guys are interested in advertising on this podcast, let me know. It's not that much. It's a way to kind of do that. And every time I put this podcast up anywhere, I tag you in everything. So uh, I appreciate my support. I appreciate appreciate any of you that listen. I'll see you next week. Peace. Yeah!